0: I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue located here in Celebration, Florida. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the two sons. It's a short parable in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 21 uh, in verses 28 through 32. So let me read it to you and then we'll pull it apart and see what we have to learn. Verse number 28, Jesus says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. You know, the parable today is, is short and sometimes thought to be relatively easy to understand. Uh, it actually gives, a, gives me a great opportunity today to, to spend some time with you on the principle of biblical interpretation. Uh, the theological term for this, this study, this idea of biblical intermeta- or interpretation, is called hermeneutics, but it's not important for you to know the term hermeneutics. Uh, what's important for you to understand, the few very basic uh, principles in, uh, in interpreting the Bible, and if you understand those, not only will you understand these easier as you hear them, but you'll be able to study the Bible for yourself and be able to learn. Uh, If you've read the Bible, you've likely found some passages that were relatively easy to understand. Passages like, love your neighbor as yourself, or or, do not cheat, or do not lie, or do not steal. Those are relatively easy to understand. However, there are a number of passages in the Bible, um, including a lot of these parables, that have meanings that are a little bit more obscure. Jesus even said that he spoke in parables, and because he spoke in parables, some would be able to understand the principles or the mysteries of the Kingdom of God, but others would not. Uh, The fact that he called them mysteries is an indication that some would not be able to understand the true uh, intent of the parables. So, I'm going to give you three principles. They're relatively short, pretty easy to understand. Principle, Principle number one, original context. Original context. Original content is foundational. It's, it's key to understanding the meaning of, of really any passage. While sometimes context p- can be challenging, really what's required often is just reading the, uh, the verse or two prior to the passage or a verse or two after the passage, and you'll understand the, the original context. Context also embraces the historical, the cultural, um, the geographical context of, of the, the passage. And, and while that's true of, of any verse, okay, um, I want you to remember that, that for, for the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible is primarily a, a Jewish book. It's spoken to a Jewish audience and things like north, south, east and west typically are north, south, east and west of, of Israel or primarily Jerusalem. So, understanding the geographical uh, context is, is, is key. Uh, regarding context, you've, you've often heard me tell you how, how context is so key in, these, in, in understanding Scripture. I, I told you the story of my mother. My mother was a real estate agent back in the, oh my goodness, 1970s. And she's the one that first told me, you know, the three most important things in, in, in real estate is, is location, location, location. Well, the same is true with with a a biblical interpretation it's all about context context and context also regarding context the nearest context is has the greatest weight on any scripture so for example if the chapter is about a context like like salvation but the meet the verses immediately uh, preceding the passage you're reading, um, the, whatever the context is of those immediately preceding verses is, is the most important. Therefore, uh, context determines meaning. You've, you've, you've often heard probably the, the saying in the Bible, it says, uh, um, let's relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's in, in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 19. Well, if you don't understand the context, it sounds like uh, instruction for you but actually in context that was a parable that Jesus was saying and immediately following, eat, drink and be merry, Jesus replies, you fool. So we have to understand the context in order to understand the true meaning of any verse. Principle number two is we want to be able to interpret the Bible literally whenever possible. By literally, we mean we take the plain meaning of the verse. We don't try to read into it. We we take the Bible for what it says. Uh, When we read, for example, that Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, we we take the Bible literally to mean that he fed 5,000 with five fish and two loaves. I remember early in my walk with with Jesus, we had only been going to church, back to church, uh, for probably for a few months, and, and we visited this church and the pastor was going to talk on this very passage the feeding of the 5,000. And I I thought to myself, well, this is great. I actually know this passage. It's something that I had read in the Gospels. And I was was interested in hearing the, the pastor talk about this particular verse. Well, wouldn't you know it that he started explaining away the miracle. I don't want to get into the details of what he said because it was it was foolishness. But basically what he said is that when Jesus told them to sit down, the people at the time used to wear these these big heavy belts around their their tunics. And when they opened up their belts, all of this food fell out. And there was really no miracle of the 5,000. It was really about about sharing what you have with others. Uh, Well again, this is this is complete foolishness. And we have to take the Bible literally when when possible. Now, that was an early lesson for me and I'm glad I, I heard it then because ever since then I've only been attracted to, to pastors and preachers that, that want to take the Bible literally, that, that try to understand its, its true importance. You know, so, so for example, when we see these, these miracles of Jesus, when we go in the Old Testament, we see these amazing miracles, the parting of the Red Sea or, or the, the amazing victories over some of the enemies of Israel. What, what they show us is the, is the majesty, uh, the power, and the awesomeness of, of God. And, and, and if we don't take these things literally, as we, if we think of them figuratively or just symbolic, uh, we miss that. We miss it. You know, there, there are obvious, at the same time, obvious metaphors and, and, um, and symbols in the Bible. Often in the Bible, uh, the author of that passage will give us a clue. So, for example, if you if you look in the book of Revelation, one of my favorite books, you'll see things like, uh, then then I saw something that looked like glass. Another verse says, then I saw something that looked like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Now, see, the author is telling you that they weren't true. It wasn't really glass and it really wasn't frogs, but but it looked like it. So we take the author literally we say that that's what he he saw and he's telling us that what he saw looked like but actually wasn't frogs so principle number two is interpret the bible literally whenever possible unless it's obvious obvious that it's supposed to be taken symbolically or or metaphorically remember the bible also tells us that the lord is is my rock he's my stronghold those are those are metaphors that's not to be taken literally, is we understand the metaphor of say, saying, "Jesus is my rock." Principle number three: the Bible interprets the Bible. This final principle for today, and now there are others. there's many other principles, but these are the, the major three that will really help you, um, is this principle number three, that the Bible interprets the Bible. Uh, this really became the bedrock of Bible interpretation in the 16th century with the Reformation. You remember, there were some great scholars that came up and they, they took a look at what the church had been teaching for, for many, many years. And they decided that theology could be, could be better. Uh, for years, the Bible was really not even read by the people. It wasn't even in their language, so as a result, very few could, could understand it. Tradition had replaced the Bible. Um, in all matters of, of theology. So what the people were taught, what they believed about everything, about, about Jesus, about heaven and hell, about how to be saved, um, how you should be baptized, all of these sins, all these, all these matters were a matter of, of tradition. They were no longer a part of the, of the Bible. The Bible, What the Bible said was secondary to tradition. The most practical application of this principle uh, when you read something in the verse, it says something that is, is unclear. If you're reading through the Bible and you, and you read something that, that seems unclear, uh, don't try to jump to conclusions. Allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Find things that are very, very clear about the very same topic or, or subject and let those things that are clear in the Bible help you interpret what seems obscure. Remember, the Bible is, is brutally honest, and it will tell stories of murderers, incest, rape, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to understand, unless we understand the clear understanding of the Bible. See, the Bible is very clear that we are supposed to love and respect human life. Uh, we're supposed to understand that there's a protection of the innocent that's important, uh, property rights. The Bible speaks in favor of fairness and justice. So now, let's, with those three principles, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the 21st chapter of Matthew, the parable I read, the parable of the two sons, and we'll start to understand um, the meaning of this, this parable. And, and again, the first thing we're going to take a look at is, is context. Now, chapter 21 of Matthew is actually a very well-known chapter because it, it begins, it begins, I remember the chapter 21 is one of the last chapters in the, in the book of Matthew. Which means not only are we getting to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we're also getting close to the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we see in chapter 21 is that it's it's Palm Sunday. Jesus fulfills the prophecy and rides into Jerusalem on the back of a, a donkey. Uh, the colt, the foal of a donkey, illustrating the main point of the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So, at the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and fulfills this prophecy. Uh, The prophecy said, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding a donkey on the colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, the people of Israel knew this prophecy very well. There was a, a fervor in Israel at the time that the messiah was was coming there were there were rumors that shepherds had seen him uh, in bethlehem uh, had seen uh, a, a baby born in, in bethlehem and, and angels had appeared but it was over 30 years ago but still there's this there's this high-pitched anticipation in jerusalem at the time that the messiah would would, would appear Um, Then, after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the context that we're taking a look at, Jesus goes to the temple, and it's the clearing of the temple. Remember, he overturns the money changer's booths. And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Uh, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed him. You know, that's verses 12 through 17 of this, this chapter 21 in Matthew. Then there's the account that Jesus curses the fig tree and with again without the proper understanding of what's going on that seems like a very um, uncharacteristic um, thing that Jesus would do to curse a, a fig tree until we understand what the Bible has to, to say about itself. Uh, we understand that in the Bible that the fig tree is often used as a, a symbol for Israel. Israel calls out the fig tree because it had only leaves. and and no figs, meaning there was no no fruit. Uh, There's no obvious benefit to the fig tree because there's no fruit on it. The religious rulers at the time uh, were unfruitful. They were lacking fruit, which was necessary for salvation. The Jewish people at the time were very religious, but the leaders were corrupt. The people needed the fruit of repentance and obedience to God. The The religious leaders obviously heard of Jesus cleansing the temple because they then catch up with Jesus and they, they accuse him. Uh, they basically, in fact, these are the verses immediately preceding the parable. And remember I said that in context, the verses immediately preceding the passage we're taking a look at have the highest value when it comes to context. So the verses immediately preceding this, this parable says this. It says, "This are the Pharisees talking to Jesus. They say, "By what authority are you doing these things?" They asked, "Who gave you this authority?" So this is a, this is a very sad state of affairs. Jesus is the Messiah. Many of the people will recognize that. That's why they welcomed him into Jerusalem shouting, "Hosanna! Hosanna!" Uh, he had proven himself through the teaching that he was like like no others. Uh, his miracles were amazing, including raising people from the dead. But the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Sadducees, they, they still want to know who this, who this Jesus is. Now the thing is, is they, they actually know who He is, but they, they refuse to accept Him. They ask Him, what gives you the authority to receive the praises of people and to cleanse the temple? Remember, this was the end, not the beginning of Jesus' ministry. For three years, Jesus had, had made himself uh, perfectly known. There were plenty of opportunities. And actually, what we saw in these three years was often the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come to Jesus and they would, they would try to test him. Right from the very beginning, he wasn't very popular with the uh, religious leaders. And up to the end, not, as, not popular either, in fact, they're going to be the ones that turn him over, have him arrested, tried, illegal trial, and then die on, on Calvary. So this is the context. This is the setting of this parable. Now we've taken a little bit of time, I don't have my watch, but I don't know how long it's been, but we've taken our time because we want to understand the context before we get into this parable to try to understand its, its meaning. The parable is told to the Jewish religious leaders, they're the primary audience. People like you and me, were the secondary audience. The primary audience are these religious leaders that were challenging Jesus. So let's read the first few verses of the parable again. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, the first. So, this is the, this is the basic story. This is the basic story of the parable. We have a man with two sons, who told them to go to work in the, in the vineyard. The first son refused, but later obeyed and went. The second son initially expressed obedience, and actu- but actually disobeyed, and refused to work in the vineyard. The son, who initially refused, later relented. And he eventually um, obeyed. Notice it was the religious leaders that are answered these questions. They they understood that Jesus was talking directly to them. That's why they answered the question. And they answered the question correctly. So let's take a look at these two sons. Remember, sons, first of all, the first thing we can say about them is that they're related. Uh, They have the same father. They are heirs, heirs of the father. They're also heirs of the vineyard that they're told to go and work in. The first son said, I will not. This blunt answer indicates outright rebellion. Jesus is applying this to the people of Israel. He is singling out two types, two types with the two sons. These two sons represent the two types of people that Jesus is speaking about. The first son said, no. He he didn't obey, he didn't try to obey, he didn't pretend to obey, he just said, no way. This son represents those that were a part of Israel, but were rebellious. Uh, They're not the people that go to temple, they're not the people, in fact, if they go to temple, they're likely trying to steal something, hurt someone, or enrich themselves in some way. Do you know people like that in Israel? Well, we do. The Bible talks about them often, in fact, they're included later in the same parable, uh, the answer is yes. These are the tax collectors, the people referred to as tax collectors and harlots. Tax collectors are those who sympathize and work directly with, uh, with the Romans. They were hated by the people of Israel. Also included in this category are the thieves, the harlots, the, the idolaters, the people, again, that refused to obey the religious leaders' teaching. Uh, now, you don't want your daughter to grow up a harlot, and you don't want your son to become a tax collector. That's just how it was in Israel. However, notice something. The first son said no, but then later it said he repented. He, he regretted it. In other translations, um, it's clear that he repented. Uh, there's actually two words in Greek that are translated often as, as repent. They're very similar. The first one is the word metaneo. Metaneo is a compound word. It basically means to change your mind. It isn't so much about rendering your shirt or falling on the ground or feeling remorse. It's really about, first of all, changing your your mind. Deciding something that you didn't think was true is actually true. For example, in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist came and said, repent, mentineo, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, The word here is translated uh, regretted, uh, it, it's a much stronger uh, term. Uh, the, the Greek word here is not metaneo, but it sounds similar. It's metamelamai. Metamelamai. Uh, it in, indicates a, a strong emotional response, a strong emotional response. The type of response that a, a thief would have, that had remorse and not only felt sorry would take what he stole back to the owner and, and apologize or, or restore twice or five times or seven times what he had actually taken. In this parable, Jesus is indicating that the son that said he would not uh, was disgusted with himself, that he had talked or behaved like this with his, his father. The word has one big difference from the other word, and that is an action that immediately follows the feeling. And this comes with the action. Uh, The thief returns what he stole. The tax collector repays double. Uh, The harlot not only gives up her her wicked ways, but becomes a model citizen. She becomes somebody completely different. In the case of the son in this parable, it is similar. He eventually obeyed his father and went to work in the vineyard. Now, on to the second son. Notice that the second son responded initially with a, a very strong affirmative. He said, I go, sir. (laughs) Did you see that? Now, it's not surprising that he addressed his father as sir. Uh, He was so respectful, so obedient, uh, so apparently obedient, calling his father by sir, it strengthened his affirmative reply. He said, yes, sir, right away. But ultimately, he, he did not go. He didn't go to work in the vineyard. Perhaps he, he never had intention, we're not sure. But either way, he, he did not go. Now, we use scripture to interpret scripture. Remember, that was one of the principles. And scripture interprets scripture. This son represents a group of people, and also in Israel at the time. They were apparently obedient. They used words that were respectful, that were very polite, maybe theological. Uh, they're, they're the people that Jesus is addressing these are the religious leaders. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus has a similar conversation with those religious leaders. Uh, in verse 5, it says this, so the Pharisees and scribes question Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Instead, they eat with defiled hands. Jesus answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. They teach as doctrine the precepts of men. You know, then in this parable, um, Jesus asked the listeners, the chief priests and the elders, which son had done the will of the father? Is it the one whose no became a yes or whose yes became a, a no? The religious leaders answered correctly. They said the will of the father was done by the one who actually did what was asked. So let's take a look at the very next verse, verse thirty-one. Jesus then said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. This is the the punchline of the parable. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that doing the will of the Father is much more important than saying that you're going to do the will of the Father. Uh, It's it's a matter of works over words. It's a matter of, of deeds. This parable was directed to the religious leaders, but the application, here's the go. the application is to, to us as well. In the second chapter of the book of James, uh, James is the half-brother of, of Jesus, and he addresses this same concept of, of faith and deeds, words and works. And James says to the church, that's, that's you and me, he says, so too faith by itself, if it is not com- complemented by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, we have a, a saying in this country, if it's one thing to talk the talk, but really what you need to do is to to walk the walk. And this is exactly what the religious leaders had not done. These religious leaders understood this as well and gave the correct answer they said that the obedient son is the one who actually went to the vineyard uh, even though he initially said no they gave the correct answer but imagine the look on their faces when jesus then immediately responded i surely tell you that tax collectors and harlots will enter the kingdom of heaven before you before you jesus was pointing to them the religious leaders the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, by saying that indeed, this, they were the same as the son who said he would do something, but then, but then refused. He talked the talk, but he didn't walk the walk. So, what is it about these, the behavior of these, these religious elite, these religious leaders, that was, that was taking them out of the Kingdom of God, putting them behind the worst of the, the sinners? in Israel. What had happened? Had they rejected God? Well, as much as we can criticize these religious leaders, they they actually were very zealous for God. They were very zealous for the law. They were somewhat misguided, but they actually wanted to do everything that the law commanded. Many of the laws uh, that they added, these were added to the Ten Commandments. In fact, scholars tell us that there were 613 uh, laws that were added. Some were positive and some were negative, meaning you do certain things or you don't do certain things. Uh, they're called, they're called mitzvahs. Um, some were positive. The, the Jewish religious zealots had accepted uh, the law of God and they did everything they could to show their compliance with it. Yet, or you could say, but Jesus calls them out. He compares them to the son who initially said yes, but then refused to obey. What was it that they failed to obey? Well, they were opposed to Jesus. They conspired against Jesus. Uh, they tried to trap Him. They, they, they found ways to accuse Him. They heard Him preach with, uh, with amazing authorities. Uh, there was no doubt that Jesus was a miracle worker, but they attributed the miracles to the devil. They. They didn't listen to John the Baptist either and that's what Jesus talk, is talking about They, they didn't t- listen to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this holy man. Uh, he, he had nothing. He lived in the desert He he wore he wore crude clothing a leather belt. He ate locusts and honey I mean people flocked to him flocked to him to hear him teach and when he said repented not only would repent But they were they were baptized by John And this was just three years prior They saw that Jesus was baptized by John, and when that happened, John said in a clear voice, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus not only compared them to the son that did not obey, but Jesus said they were worse than the most sinful outcasts of society, the tax collectors and the harlots, and Jesus said that these others would enter the kingdom of God before these religious leaders. Jesus had said this earlier. Likely one of the reasons Jesus was not so popular is this is something that Jesus had said. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus spoke of gentiles coming into the kingdom of God to sit with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob while the sons of the kingdom find themselves on the on the outside in outer darkness. So what is it about these these tax collectors and harlots in this in this parable or this verse that or Jesus actually compares them to the Gentiles, that would allow them to come into the Kingdom, the Kingdom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was it that made those sinners acceptable to be accepted into the Kingdom of God? Well, the parable tells us the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the Kingdom of God before you, and the question is why? Because, like the good son, they repented. They felt remorse. They changed their mind. And they responded to the preaching and teaching of Jesus. You know, Jesus had told Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a good Pharisee. He, Nicodemus came to Jesus and called him good and righteous and holy. Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. Nicodemus needed to change his mind, to understand that the law that all of the religious people were so hard trying to fulfill would never be fulfilled. In trying to obey, that it would only be fulfilled through Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God, that He was going to die, to be crucified, be nailed to the cross, and give up His life for the sin of the world. So let's go to the very last verse of this parable, verse number 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So Jesus explains himself. Jesus gives them a, a parable, an illustration about two sons. One that talked the talk and one that walked the walk. He explained that John the Baptist had a, had a similar message to what Jesus taught. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He came to teach the people how they needed to truly live according to to God's will. If you remember the story of John the Baptist, people came out to the desert to hear him and those who believed repented and were baptized. John's converts were the same people that Jesus is referring to. They were the outcasts. They were the tax collectors. They were the harlots. They were the ones that were considered unrighteous by these religious elite. However, the religious leaders would not. They refused to follow um john or jesus they refused to repent they refused to relent they would not believe john and they did not believe jesus jesus was saying that they were refusing the call of the father they were refusing the call of the father notice the work they were going to do was in the vineyard do you get it the vineyard where things become fruitful where the vines are fruitful they need to be harvested they need to be harvested by workers in the vineyard. The Father was calling the people to work in the vineyard. Jesus needs workers in the field, but they were not. So what is, has God called us? What is God calling us to do? Well, for starters, He's asking the same thing that He, he asked of these two sons of Israel. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. All of the symbolic rituals, the the feast days, the holy days, all of the things that the people of Israel did, even the things in the temple, including the articles in the temple, all pointed to a deeper spiritual meaning. Most of those fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. We have the benefit now, however, of having both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And in the New Testament it's made clear to us that we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ through 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 grace through faith through grace and it's the faith in Jesus Christ that makes us right with God do you know the other word for the New Testament the other word for the New Testament is called the the new covenant the new covenant see it was the old covenant with the people of Israel Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's a new covenant. And that new comp- covenant was with whosoever. Whosoever understands who Jesus Christ is. The old covenant was between Israel and God and the, the focus was the, was the law. In the new covenant, the focus is none other than, than Jesus Christ. Jesus came and was the only perfect man. Through his obedience, he had access to the New Covenant. He gave us access to the New Covenant. And that God provides through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees, there are many who believe that they can be right with God themselves. It's called self-righteousness. Uh, but there's, but they're really no better than these religious leaders in Israel. Uh, they, they thought that they could do it on their own. They were what we call legalistic. Uh, They were legalistic towards their relationship with God. Uh, They thought that as long as they would obey the law, they would be fine. And Jesus made it clear, however, that the requirements of the law were were actually much greater than the people even anticipated. The question is, who really does the will of God? We see this in this parable that it really doesn't matter what you say. It's who you follow. It's who you follow. Will Will you follow the Father's call? Will you follow Jesus, and will you follow Jesus and work in the, in the vineyard? You see, this is not about religion. Uh, the people of, of Israel were, were very religious. Uh, they were a, a bunch of religious zealots. Um, but a lot of what they believed in was about religion. God is not interested in your religion. God is interested in your, in your heart. You want to know the really good news about this parable of the two sons? You know, everything, every of those stories, you want to hear the good news or the bad news? Well, give me the bad news first. Well, the bad news was that the religious elite, who had paraded around with their long robes and their religious garb, thinking that they were something really, really special, found out that they, they were not. They were not getting into the kingdom of God until they, too, repented. But here's the good news. This is really good news. The son that was accepted was the one that had said no. See, he, he wasn't following God. He, he wasn't interested in the things of God. But he, he changed his mind. He changed his mind and decided to go ahead and, and follow the call of the Father. The call of the Father is to follow Jesus. There are many people, some of you that I'm talking to today, that have, have said no to this call to follow Jesus. But the good news is you have an opportunity to change your mind, to, to relent and decide to go ahead and, and, and follow Jesus. We're accepted by God when we repent, when we change our mind, when we ask for forgiveness and we, and we come to the Lord. It's about believing in Jesus Christ. You see, the, the law will never say, save you. If you think you're something special because you pay your taxes and you haven't killed anybody, let me tell you, that doesn't make you special, okay? What makes you special, let's put it this way, what makes you righteous, is believing in Jesus Christ. That's the saving power of God, that's the the walk of faith, that's walking the walk, not just talking the talk. If you have been wondering about the opportunity for yourself to be able to make this change, uh, all you really need to do is, is to pray. In Romans chapter 10, it says that it says that if we uh, believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, and confess with our mouth that God had raised Him from the dead, we will be will be saved. You see, that's where it begins. It begins our walk with God. Will begins with understanding who who Jesus truly is. Let's pray. Father God, we want You've been listening you to Faith Dialogue with Pastor gospel. Ken Baer recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.